Well, we're going to continue on uh, today with DNA-reminded radical, um, John 15 and the book of Acts. Now, what we're doing uh, is we're visiting and revisiting our mission, and we're revisiting the DNA of our mission for the purpose of driving that DNA deep into the fabric and practice of our lives as the community of the kingdom of God, the church. And as you are reminded, we're studying through 1 Timothy. And as a bridge between 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 4, we're taking this opportunity to go back to our mission and take the components of that mission, the spiritual DNA of that mission, and unpack it and drive it deep in so that we don't forget so that we're good managers and good stewards of the mission God has given us. We say it like this, for the glory of God will build the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. Gospel, church, global, and radical. We know that the gospel and the message of the kingdom of God is a powerful message that transforms sinners. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God is powerful and can take the hardest rebel and transform them into an adopted child of God. Those children of God are the church, the community of God's kingdom. The community of the kingdom of God is global. And if that term confuses you, go back and listen to last week. That is a central piece to why we are what we are, why we look like why we look like what we look like. And so go take a listen to that and be reminded it is absolutely essential. But this community is locally relevant in the domains of society, making disciples and equippers and senders and goers to all nations. So we asked the question this morning when we talk about radical, what is the life like inside the community of the kingdom of God that is local in its nature? What does that life look like? Life inside the community of the kingdom of God is radical. And I want to make two things very clear on the front end that's very important here. Number one, radical isn't just some word with shock value that describes the mere external window dressing of some type of different look with no real internal spiritual genetic difference. It's not like a pig with lipstick and a dress. The regular, post-Christian, name-only, Christian t-shirt wearing, cross necklace wearing, cross tattoo having, pierced green mohawk, cross cut in your hairstyle, sometimes church goer with no power or experiential connection to the risen Christ is not radical. In other words, just... Putting something on the outside doesn't define a person as radical. That's having a form of godliness and maybe denying its power. It's not that you can't have those things. It's that if the inside transformation isn't there, those things are very simply window dressing. So that's not what we mean. Second, radical is not a ripped off title from Platt's book. Entitled Radical. We've been using this language that's birthed from John 15 in the book of Acts for a very long time since our inception. We've been talking about this long before Platt's book. Dude just beat us to writing the book. I love Platt. He's a good guy. 
And to be truthful, I've never read the book. When people ask me if I've read it, I just say yes, because I've given up on people actually believing we were talking this language 11 plus years ago. So if you've asked me if I've read the book and I've answered yes in the past, I lied. Sorry. It's confession time. I hear it's good. But I have people continually come up and say things like, it's cool, you're using plat stuff. And that makes me want to headbutt a brick wall. So I truthfully don't know what's in the book. And because of such, such things, I'll probably never read it. Uh, also, for some slight bitterness, that I didn't write the book myself. So there's my confession and my sin for the day. So those are two things I want you to get on the front end about this title, Radical. So let's talk about it. It's a piece of our DNA. It's a piece of our spiritual DNA. Gospel, church, local, radical. Radical means, and this is his definition. You go to your dictionary.com. You get your dictionary app on your phone. And here's the definition you'll see. It's the first definition. There are multiple definitions. This is the first one. This is the very root of the definition radical. It means of a root source. Of a root source. Arising or going to a root source. Fundamental. Existing inherently in a person or thing. I'm not even making that up. That is the definition. When Jesus talks about our relationship to Him in John chapter 15, He uses the analogy of a vine and branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And we grow out of Him. We arise from, we are connected to a root source. And that root source is Christ. The source of life in the people of God is not a strategy. It's not a feel. It's not the music. It's not what we wear. It is being intimately, personally, living in, abiding in, connected to the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus says He's the vine, we are the branches. Jesus' Word and His Spirit in us is the source of our life and gospel fruit. We grow in Him and we grow out of Him. We arise from and must be connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, He says we can do nothing. Jesus' life in us is inherent to life. Jesus' life not in us is inherent to being dead spiritually. The radical life, we see it lived out in the book of Acts. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to indwell, to empower, to gift, and to equip His people for His mission. And we look at Acts 2, 42-47, and these Spirit-filled people get into community. These people in communion with God get into community in the gathered church. And we learn real quick that these people who are in communion with God and are now in community with each other are people who have favor, favor with the people outside of the church. We also learn that there is healing taking place. Healing lame people, Acts 3, 1 to 10. We discover that they're threatened by the rulers and the elders and the council. We see that these people in communion with God and in community with each other are also sharing everything as is needed 
with one another as opposed to seeking their own gain. We learn that these people in communion with God and community with each other are arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel. We see one of them stoned to death for preaching the gospel. We see this body of people who are in communion with God and community with each other being scattered in persecution and preaching the gospel wherever they go. We see them preaching in these glorious providential encounters with foreigners who come to Jerusalem to worship. And we see them defending the gospel's transformation of outsiders like Cornelius to a mostly Jewish church. And so goes the whole book of Acts. And by the way, the notes are there for you. Uh, MitchJolly.wordpress.com if you, if you want to look on. They're all there, word for word, manuscript as I have it here. So if you want to go take a look at that. There are tons of scripture references there for you to play with. Radical life. People who are in communion with God through the powerful transformative work of the gospel. These gospel transform people now in community with each other. And might I add, from diverse backgrounds and all in unity, because that's what the gospel does. And finally, we see this community of people in communion with God colliding with culture. Radical life. Communion. Community. Collision. Communion with God. Community with each other. Collision with culture. Let's take a look at these one at a time. And I'm going to confess this morning, I'm probably going to get hung up on communion with God. Which means we'll come back and finish in a few weeks. Pastor Jim is going to going to come back to 1 Timothy 4. And Josh is going to come back with the next part of 1 Timothy 4. And that's okay. Because you know me. And there's eight pages. And I'm, I'm going to keep you here until 2. So let's start with communion with God. You guys know my deal. I never want to rush through things just to get through them. That is never the intention. Just get done. We want to wait on the Lord. We want to follow the promptings of His Spirit. And we never want to just rush past what He would have to say to us in His Word. Communion with God. In John 15, 1-11, Jesus describes this glorious reality of communion with Him in the illustration of a vine and branches. First, let's be clear. Being descendants of Adam... Sons of Adam and daughters of Eve were all born dead in our sin and completely incapable of knowing God and were not in communion with God. As a matter of fact, we're even at war with God as His enemies. This is why Paul uses the language of reconciliation when describing our salvation. So when the gospel is preached, the Father draws those He's given to the Son as a love gift so that Spirit will gloriously regenerate them and give them faith that they may believe. I would highly encourage you to play with the Gospel of John. Read John. Read it in one sitting. I'm absolutely fascinated with the Gospel of John. Read John 2. Read John 3. Read John 6. Read John 10. Read John 17. And watch this flow. Watch this flow of people who look like branches but are not. And those who are branches and remain in Christ. And watch the difference between the two. We see that the Father 
does this glorious work of drawing to Christ those that He's given the Son as a precious love gift. This is the language of John 6. Those the Father has given me, they're mine. And in John 17, this beautiful high priestly prayer, what Jesus prays for you, He prays for me, He prays for us. That all those the Father has given Him, He would lose none of them. None He would lose. John 10, they will be mine. I will hold them in my hand and I will lose none of them. What a glorious reality that the gospel produces. That the Father through the preached gospel brings to the Son this precious love gift of the church. And Jesus is going to go to the cross and purchase them by His blood. And so when God does this wonderful and unmerited free gift of salvation, we learn... Romans 8 and Galatians 4, that these former rebels are adopted into the family of God and given full rights and access to the Father as truly a Father. Isn't that glorious? That when Christ saves a rebel, He doesn't bring them in on half-time status or He doesn't bring them in on a provisional certificate. He's given a precious gift to the Son and Jesus goes to the cross to buy them by His blood. When they hear the Gospel, they respond in faith because He's good like that. And He holds us in His hand and He will never lose us. In Romans 8 and Galatians 4, Paul creates this word, adoption, weothesis. It's a created word. It's a compound word. It doesn't exist in the Greek language until Paul uses it in Romans 8. Adoption existed in the culture, but there was no word for it. This word has its roots in the doctrine of justification. And rebels are adopted into the kingdom of God as children of God. We learn this glorious truth that Romans 8.30, that those he's justified, he's also glorified. And you see Philippians 1.6, that those who adopted in the kingdom of God are as good as completed. He who began a good work will Completed the day of Christ Jesus. Glorified. Along with this glorious work. We learn that Jesus has sent his spirit to live inside of and indwell his people as individuals. And his people then are gathered into the church. And he is our counselor. He's our helper. He's the one who convicts about sin and righteousness and judgment. He is the reminder of everything that Jesus has said and spoken that's in the Word. He's our constant presence of Christ as our friend. And how does Jesus illustrate this magnificent truth? Vine and branches. Listen to John 15, 1-11. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Lest he be unclear. He says it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, if we don't get to it later today, if we have to come back and do it in a couple of weeks, Jesus continues describing this relationship when He talks about the mission. I tweeted this out this week. When Jesus talks about prayer and the mission He's given us, so I'm going to hold off on that. It's amazing. It totally changes. It changes everything. You can read down in the notes if you're curious. But we may get there. We may not. But you good? Tracking? Here we go. First, communion with God is being fully dependent on the vine to supply all that is needed. That's the scope of these, these 11 verses in John 15. That the vine supplies everything to the branch. And the branch is completely dependent on the vine to supply all life. Meaning, if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we can do nothing. There is no life without us being in Christ. Therefore, if we are going to do the work of the church locally and globally, if we are birthed into the kingdom through the gospel, and we are valuing His body, the church, and we are locally relevant, that only happens not by setting strategy, but by abiding in Christ. Ten times Jesus uses the word abide. Do you think by repetition that word is significant? Yes. Jesus tells us here that if we are in Him, that is the source of everything. It is easy in a naturalistic worldview to assume that what we do is the source of producing results. That's pragmatism as a worldview. That my means produce the ends. That's an atheistic way to think. Jesus tells us here that He is the one who produces the fruit. Meaning that Jesus can take any strategy and produce fruit as long as we are in Him. So therefore, communion with God is being fully dependent on the vine to supply everything that is needed.
I didn't put any notes underneath this because it defies my weak application. The reason Jesus didn't, in this passage, give us the ten steps to abiding. You ever wonder why Jesus says some stuff and he never tells you how to do it? I'm like, that's awesome, but if you would have just told me the five ways to pull that off, that'd be amazing. You know why? Because he knows fallen creatures will begin to seek the means rather than the end. And we will worship the means rather than the end. Jesus doesn't tell us how because he wants us to come to him and have him. He's the end. He doesn't want us to do the five things. He wants us to be in him. He wants us to enjoy Him above all things. Because as an idolater, I will get fired up about the five ways and forget the King of the five ways. And so Jesus doesn't tell me how to abide. He just tells me to abide. You know what Jeremiah, you know Jeremiah 29, we all know verse 11, but we never kind of move on. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know how you abide? Come after Jesus with everything that's in you. That's the essence of being Christian. Is that Jesus is our treasure. We, we talked about it last week. The kingdom of God is like a, a man who stumbles across a treasure in a field and he finds it and he realizes this is amazing. And he buries the treasure and he goes and sells everything because the treasure is better. Than everything he has. Therefore, Jesus says that that's what it is. You realize I'm better than all things so that nothing else matters and you're, you come after me. He says, when you seek me with your whole heart, there I am. So, if you're half-heartedly coming after Christ, don't expect fireworks. If you have a treasure above Jesus, don't expect Revelation and life. You ever prune a tree? You ever notice what happens to branches that don't stay on the trunk? They die. Jesus is so brilliant in His teaching. He gives us illustrations that make sense. It's not like hard, right? If, if we don't love the, the vine... There's no life. And so you want to know how to stay in communion with God? Come after Jesus with everything that's in your being. I'm going to give you some things in a few moments that I've kind of, I'm going to give you some ways, but I don't want you to worship the ways. I want you to come after Jesus. Because here's, here's what I, here's, mm, firmly with all my being, believe that if the Spirit of God is taking up residence in you, He will lead you into that. He will not let you go. All those who come to me, I hold them in my hand and I lose none of them. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. That has to be reality or the whole thing's a lie. Jesus speaks to His people. The Holy Spirit leads His people. So first, communion with God is being fully dependent on the vine to supply everything that's needed. In a place where we really need nothing... It's easy to lose sight of the fact that we really need everything. 
This is why the church rarely flourishes in comfortable situations. This is why the church in the East is alive and thriving with no budgets and no money. And we have all the money and all the budgets and all the systems and slide backward. It's just for them, Jesus is the treasure. For us, we love the process. And we get exactly what we can produce. To communion with God is being fully dependent on the vine to supply all that is needed. Second, communion with God is bearing fruit. Verse 5 and verse 8. Let's be clear. Fruit is in line with the kind of tree that's growing. Peach trees do not produce oranges. Right? Apple trees do not produce pears. Grapevines do not produce cherries. Fruit is in line with the tree that is growing. Our marvelous Creator Jesus wires each of us differently on purpose. Therefore, the large and major production of fruit in the lives of God's people vocationally will be different for each of us. How we engage the global with our creative purpose is unique to each of us, and we must hear and obey the Lord regarding that. Listen to this. Don't compare my fruit with your fruit. Don't compare your fruit with someone else's fruit. And don't ever look at your fruit and say that someone else's fruit needs to be just like yours. But there are a few pieces of fruit that may look similar among us. Such as, love of God and love of neighbor. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There are some clear pieces of fruit that all of us will share. Love of God, love our neighbor. Joy in God and joy in His work. If Jesus isn't a joy... How can Jesus be king? Peace within and peace without. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. We have peace in Christ. Jesus slept on the boat in the storm. Why? Because He rules the storm. When the storms come... We fret not because He rules the storm. So internal peace leading to external peace. We patiently learn. I'm sorry, we patiently lean on the providential grace of God in all things. We have kindness toward others for the sake of the gospel. It's easy to expect unbelievers to act like believers. And when they don't, We want to shun them. Jesus was most patient with prostitutes and sinners. So fruit is kindness toward others for the sake of the gospel. Goodness. Living out, being lived out in the lives of believers. And putting on display what is truly good, what is truly holy. Faithfulness to God. And faithfulness to other branches in the vine. Gentleness with others. Gentleness with those who are outside. 
self-control displayed in fighting sin and subduing the flesh. Be clear though, those who do not bear fruit are not branches and they are removed from the vine. I want you to follow me here and this is very important. The truth is, they were never branches in the first place. The flow of the gospel of John makes this clear. In chapter 2, there were many who believed in his name. John 2, 22 to 25. Jesus turned water into good wine. And we read in that passage that they believed in his name. Now we might automatically assume, oh, they're Christians because they believed in his name, right? Well, no. They believed in his name because he made them wine. But when it came down to receiving the hard teachings, such as John 6, 35 to 71, they left him. They look like branches, but the fruit of following Jesus, which Peter displays in verse 68, because Jesus looks at Peter and he says, they've left, do you want to go too? And Peter didn't go, yeah, that's pretty tough, Jesus. I think I'm going to go with them. He goes, you have the words of life, Jesus. Where else am I going to go? Their fruit looked like a dead branch and they left. Peter puts on display the fruit of transformation and he stayed. So what happened? The father removed them. Judas looked like a branch too, didn't he? Heck, Judas was not a distant follower like these cats who just wanted the wine. Jesus, Judas, I'm sorry, Judas was the money keeper. He was one of the twelve. But Judas' fruit looked like stealing from the money bag and betraying the king. Judas looked like a branch. But Judas was no branch. If there is no bearing of fruit in some form or another, loving Christ, desiring Christ, be not deceived. That person is not in the vine. If you're in communion with God, you remain and you obey the word. Repentance is the flavor of your life. Look at Peter. I mean, look at Peter. He denied the Lord. But Peter repented. He was never cast out. Third, communion with God is receiving the vine dresser's pruning. Notice verse 2, the second part. My father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. Wow. You know what that means? This is beautiful. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and the Father, this is a Trinitarian work, the Father is the dresser of the vine. And when a branch bears fruit, what does He do? Pet it? Stroke it? Oh, good branch, good. No, He's a good Father. And He wants to put on display His glory, so what does He do? Like a good vine dresser, wanting more fruit, he prunes it. He cuts things off. You know what? Father loves us so much that He will not let us stay like we are. But He will, in fact, cut off unfruitful things in order to produce more fruit in us. And we come to that and we don't say, Gosh, how rude of you, God. If you love me, no bad things would happen to me. We come at that and go, Thank you. 
You treat me like Job. Thank you. Because Job heard of him by the hearing of the ear. But what? Then Job's eye saw him. Communion with God looks like receiving the pruning and being thankful. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for producing more fruit. You know how you grow thick skin? We're talking about this morning in our, 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 our elders meeting. We were going over some stuff we've been learning. and You know how you grow thick skin? By having your skin punctured. You know how you build calluses? By rubbing the skin off. Father is gracious for those who remain in the vine to prune us in love so that we may bear more fruit. And we don't begrudge Him for it. We give thanks. We give thanks. Fourth, communion with God is abiding in Christ and holding to His words. Abiding in Christ and holding to His words. Look at verse 4. Let me read verse 4 again. It's a... And I just want to confess here, I'm doing a very inadequate job of John 15, 1 to 11. This is like 15 sermons. So we're just hitting the high points. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in the vine... He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Communion with God and abiding in Christ and holding to His words is absolutely essential. If my word abides in you, one of the great pieces of abiding in Christ is understanding that we can know the voice of the Lord and discern His way. God speaks to His people. Do you know the voice of the Lord? You ever wonder why you have thoughts sometimes? You ever wonder why thoughts sometimes come to you and they come out of nowhere and they're holy? And you know you better than anybody, right? You know those source of thoughts that are evil and sinful, but crazy things happen sometimes. Like I have a desire for Jesus. You know, where did that come from? Because for me, sometimes the dominant characteristic is something else. And every now and then, like, I, you know, you guys know me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a hugger, right? I'm not like Mr. Affectionate Guy. But every now and then when there's this desire, love that brother or sister. Hug them. It's like, that, that did not come out of me. And you learn to discern your thoughts and recognize that that is from the Spirit. God is speaking in conjunction with His Word. God won't speak contrary to His truth, but you learn to hear the voice of the Lord. So we know the Lord, the voice of the Lord. We learn to discern and recognize the leading of the Lord versus the lies of the evil one. Communion with God is abiding in Christ and holding His words. Devouring Scripture and doing whatever is necessary to keep the Word entrenched. Those who abide in Christ love His Word. We obey the Lord. I said this a couple weeks ago. I think it's pretty important. Here, you want to know? Here you go. Discipleship. Hear the Lord. Obey the Lord. If we just focus on obeying Scripture, we will keep ourselves busy till we crawl in the grave. Hear the Lord. Obey the Lord. You know one of the key ways to shut off the voice of the Lord is to know His voice and ignore Him. 
Obey Him. Hear Him obey Him. Living in the power of the Spirit. In the providential life of being on His mission. Fifth, communion with God is asking for renewed desires that God will put into His creatures. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We hit this in a couple of weeks when we get down to the end of verse or chapter 15. This is not an invitation to come and ask Jesus for amenities. Prayer is not an intercom by which we ring up the maid for another pillow. To quote Piper. It is a wartime walkie-talkie for doing the mission. We have direct access to the Father. Psalm 37.4 reminds us if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will put in us the desires of our heart. Meaning, if Christ is our joy and we abide in Him, God will do this crazy thing. He will renew our desires. He will put in you a desire that's holy. And so, communion with God is asking for renewed desires. And God puts them in His creations. This is, this is the power of living in Christ. We all know the power of desire. We do what we want to do, right? Right? We do what we want to do. We don't do things we begrudge very long, do we? Those things fall by the wayside very quickly. This is why guilt trips don't work. When we come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you put in me a desire to care for the orphan? And God makes you happy with the struggle of doing this. This is amazing. This is great. Everyone's looking at this person. is crazy. No. They're abiding in the vine. That's gospel fruit. That's abiding in Christ. That's Him putting desires in the heart. That's why you stay the course. Because this is fun. Where does that come from? It comes from renewed desires that God graciously puts in His creatures. Communion with God. Asking for renewed desires. Sixth, communion with God is abiding in Jesus' love. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want to say this, and this is very important. This is not a legalistic command. This is a statement of reminding His people that when you are tempted to disbelieve my care for you, abide in the truth of the gospel and know that I love you so much I died to purchase you. One of the greatest temptations of the evil one is to get us to disbelieve that Jesus cares about us. He's abandoned you. Where is He? Why is He doing this to you? Why is this bad? If God loved me, this wouldn't be happening. You ever hear that thought? If you love me, abide in my love. That's an invitation to be reminded that He cares. He placed His Spirit in us. Obeying Jesus and staying in His love because we are His people. And we don't forget His love for His people. We remember that He loves us and He will keep us and He will never cast us out. John 10 is one of the most amazing, comforting passages in the Bible. Remain in His love. Do not buy the lie that Jesus doesn't care. He has abandoned His people. He's never been closer. Seventh. I'm going to wrap it up right here. Communion with God is being full of joy. 
Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. What things? Everything he said to them up to this point. If you go back in chapter 13, John gives us the life of Christ up to chapter 13. And in chapter 13 through the end of the book, John slows down and he focuses on the last few hours of Jesus' life. In chapter 13, they come to take the Passover. Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he begins to teach them. I'm going away. Oh, Jesus, where are you going? And how do we know the way to get to you? I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. It's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, I won't send the helper. But if I go away, I will send him to you. I and the Father will come to you and we will make our home with you. And Jesus is teaching them. He's instructing them. And he reminds them in John chapter 15, Hey guys, remember, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Just remain in me. I'm going to send you the Spirit. Just remain in me. And he says here in verse 11, These things I've spoken to you. That my joy may be in you. Your joy may be full. This is the happiness that is not dependent on our circumstances. Don't they just rob us? When we focus on the circumstances, don't they just absolutely pillage our happiness in Christ? And Jesus has told them all these things. And this is what's crazy. Jesus is letting them know. Guys, this is going to happen. I'm going to have to die. But I will rise. So they're going to have to go through a hard time. But Jesus reminded them, I'm going to get up. And I'm going to send you my spirit. Don't be worried. What happens? We get in the middle of the hard time. And we start thinking about the hard time, focusing on the hard time. And we miss the fact that Jesus doesn't intend for us to be miserable. What makes him look amazing is when people can sleep in the boat when the waves are crashing over the side. He's got it. And if I drown, I go home. But praise be to Christ. He's good in all things. These things I've told you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is... Joy, happiness that isn't dependent on circumstances. This is joy and happiness that's rooted in knowing Christ and trusting that He has a plan A, no plan B, and He will complete it. He who began a good work in you might make it. Eh? In doubt? So fret a bit? No. We'll complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You don't be anxious. See the lilies of the field? Solomon wasn't even clothed like that. See first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and I'll take care of the other stuff. This is the kind of joy that isn't built on circumstances that having Christ builds in us. This is the people in communion with God. This is people walking with Christ. It's a living, thriving, breathing, real relationship that is legitimate and ongoing, caring, providential, sovereign, good, rich, alive. 
That's what we have. And so I would say to you this morning, it is the people who live like that that produce that the church. That's those people in communion with God. You know, this is this is the thing. Then we get to this next week. That's where community comes from. It's not a force. It's I got to be with my people. I got I got to be with my people. You know, what? God 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 may have something for me and my brother or sister today. I dude, this is why God gifts the body, right? So that when we're together. He's, he's got a word or an encouragement or something. He, the gift isn't for you to consume privately at home. We know that. The gift is for the body. And so people in communion with God, walking with Jesus, He speaks to us for each other. And so the net result is that we're happy in Christ and we've got to be with our peeps. I mean... I'm not even joking. Like I can't stand it. Kelly was saying a few minutes ago, "That man, when we we're, we're going away and we're playing and we're coming back Sundays to travel day, we miss being here." I'm like, "Me too, man. I don't want to miss this time. I need you." That's hard for me to admit because I'm Mr. Independent, like guy. I can't function without y'all. I want to be with y'all. You're my people. You're my family. You are more family than my blood relatives, and I'm not overstating the case. Because many of my blood relatives don't walk with Jesus. They are not in communion with God. You're my family. Jesus comes to his disciples. We're hanging out. Or Jesus and his disciples are hanging out in the house. And Jesus' mother and brothers. This is when they don't believe. And they come to him and Jesus, you need to come out and have a word with you. And Jesus looks around the table and says, who are my mother and my brothers? You are. That's us, man. That's us. We're family, y'all. Isn't that rich? We walk with Jesus. Because here's what happened. You ever notice a tree with only one branch? That's a funky looking tree, isn't it? It's a funky looking tree. God did this in creation. He made vines. He made trunks for branches to come out of. You know what happens? People in the vine are with other people in the vine. That's just the way. This is why the church is not a negotiable. This is why the life of the body isn't just if you want to. It's I can't help it. I'm in Christ. And i got to be with other people who are in Christ. It's life. And so guys, enjoy Christ. And you know the result of that will be you will enjoy each other. Life together. On mission. Under the Word. And you know what? He then takes those people and does this great thing with us. It's called worship. You ever notice? You ever notice how crazy it is? Like, when the... Worship is a discipline. This is not in the notes, sorry. I'm, I'm stopping early so I can say this. Worship is a discipline. Worship is never predicated on us feeling like it or the environment being right. You went to, we just spent a week at Snowbird and the lights go down, Shylin comes on and we hop in. And it's on like Donkey Kong. And you'll see in the camp video, you got some students have some groove. It's amazing. And you know, we come back to just normal life where we don't have a production every week. And it's easy to think our worship of Christ is predicated on the lights going down and the beats thumping. It's not. It's not. You can as easily disengage from that as you can anything. Your mind can drift to something else. Worshiping Christ together is a discipline. 
And so Jesus puts a people together. They're in communion with Him. They come into community. You know what they do? They worship. That's what we do. And you know what? That's going to require discipline on your part and mine. Meaning when it's time to respond to the Lord in song, we intentionally shut everything else out, focus on Christ, and we do what we need to do to make Jesus big. Because we're in Him. He's here right now. And so the audience is present. Christ is present. You're not the audience. He is. You are the performers. And so Jesus is walking among His people and He intends to be big among us. And so I want to invite you to do is to come and make Him big in song. In song. We're going to worship together. So let me pray for us. And the band's going to come and lead us in our response to Him. And so I invite you to discipline yourself to worship the Lord. Father, this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, for Your glory and for our joy, I beg You now to rule Your people well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make yourself very clear and very evident. I pray you'd give us a desire to worship you and to sing to you. I pray you would give us great joy in making much of you. I pray you would bind us together, bind our hearts together in the mission. I pray you build community among us. Father, I pray you'd overcome the cultural barriers to all that, and they are many. We are busy, we are segmented demographically, geographically, it's a hard thing to do community in the Western church. You know that, Jesus. We're not telling you anything. We need you to put joy and delight in our heart, desires that are bigger than barriers. So, Lord Jesus, we want to abide in you. We want to worship you and we make much of you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd rule your people, move their hearts to want to worship in song. And I pray that you would help us to be in community as you lead us to be. Please, Lord, rule this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd overcome unbelief. I pray you would overcome lies of the evil one. I pray you'd overcome distractions. I pray you would convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I ask you to counsel where counseling needs to take place. I ask you to remind us of your word where that needs to happen. Rule well. Walk among your people. Minister where it is needed. And we submit to you and we bow the knee to you. And we want to make much of you. So we pray in Jesus' name.